Good morning to each of you. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's again a very much of a privilege and blessing to look out over the congregation of, of friends, of brothers and sisters in the Lord. It seems like it's been quite a while since I've had the privilege to preach. Sometimes it doesn't always feel exactly like a privilege, but it is, and it's been a long time since I've been up here. Snow canceled the last one, and uh, I wasn't one jumping up and down to say, let's cancel, let's cancel, just because I was preaching, in case you wondered. I had a message prepared for that morning, and I was thinking to share that message today, but as the time got closer, I had another subject that was in my mind and and heart, and I chose to go that direction, and I found it interesting how I I tried to look at the Sunday school lesson and, and study it to some degree, but sometimes it gets pushed back, and as I was studying for this, I, I thought about what our Sunday school lesson might be, and I went looking, and sure enough, they they jive a bit. And whether that's good or necessary, uh, the Lord can lead totally different directions, and things don't have, the Sunday school doesn't need to be a precursor to the message at all for it to be applicable. But you, you'll see what I what I'm getting to shortly. But I have a question to start with, and that is, what is the most important book in the Bible? I think I might have asked this question before with a totally different answer in mind. Does anyone have a guess as to what the most important book in the Bible is? Well, it's a bit of a trick question because it's not a book of the Bible. It's a book that's mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned in Revelation more than anywhere else. The book of life. I was at an auction yesterday of a man that had passed away some months ago. And he was an old man. He lived to be in his mid-90s, I believe. And he's gone. His eternal destiny is sealed. What was written was written. He can't change that. And as I thought of his life, I didn't know him very well. I knew a few things about him on the one wagon of auction items. There was a framed paper from the Valley Investment Savings Bank or something. I found this interesting. It was a check, a cashier's check. Why would someone frame a cashier's check? I noticed who it was written to. I noticed the date. And I looked kind of for the memo. And then down at the bottom, there was something handwritten. The memo was property settlement 
and the writing was the price of freedom for his divorce. The copy of the check that settled his divorce. It's part of his actions. That's part of what's written in the books. I'm not judging that man as far as I don't know what his heart was when he died. But he will face judgment as will every one of us. Turn with me to Revelation 20. For a text I'd like to look at Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I recently read a testimony of a man, and he said as a young child, he was exposed to religion. His family went to church pretty much every week. However, his parents were not godly people. His home was filled with tremendous anger and abuse. And that Turmoil eventually pushed him to despair to the point that he attempted suicide. But he was spared death. But he went on living several years in a state of of just hopelessness. But at some point, he had heard a well-known preacher preach a message from this passage. And it stuck in his mind. The reality of the fear of meeting God at this judgment haunted him. And it kept him from again trying to kill himself. Because meeting God, judgment. Several years later, he was presented with the gospel. And he found peace and freedom that comes through repentance and faith. And I think the the thing that he was able to to grasp is the idea of meeting God in daily life. And if we meet God in daily life, we don't need to be afraid of meeting God at the judgment. Sometimes the things that we hear may not make a tremendous application right at the time, but God can use it to help 
give us direction when we need it. My prayer is that God would use the scriptures and the thoughts expressed here today to bring a perspective that directs our hearts to earnestly seek Him and His kingdom first. You know, the reality of some of the scriptures may bring fear to someone who is not right with God. And fear has its place. Fear may cause you to want to escape hell, but only faith can get you into heaven. I had to, to think of a, of a sailboat. One of these sailing yachts, perhaps, a speed sailing boat. I believe they have a long something sticking out the bottom. Am I right? Is that called a keel? What's the, what's the proper term? Ballast. The keel is the bottom though, right? If you keel over, then that comes up and that's a problem. A ballast. That, that it's a weight that hangs down so that when the sail is up in the air, it won't tip over completely. But I had to think about that. In our experience, perhaps that ballast is a bit like fear. It will keep the boat from falling over but it will help the boat get nowhere. Without it, the boat is more unstable. But with that alone, it's hopeless. And fear in our lives sometimes can help us be aware of the reality of who God is. And that can be a very stabilizing factor as it was in this man's life. But until he had put his sail up, until he exercised faith, he was getting nowhere. But when he exercised, he, he came to faith in Christ, he began a journey that is taking him to glory. I'd like to look at, at five points from this passage in Revelation 20. The first being that of the, the awesomeness of God. And I'm going to be reading a lot of other scriptures that, that bring out or, or emphasize these points in, in different ways. The first being the awesomeness of God. It says here in verse 11 that there was a throne and the person, the, the being on that throne was so great that earth and heaven fled away and there was no place found for, for them. That was the time that this was to happen. But this person, God Almighty, is not someone we can really totally comprehend. So much bigger and more, more powerful, more knowledgeable, more infinite than any of us can can grasp it's a few verses from isaiah isaiah does a tremendous job at at contrasting man finite man with the infiniteness of god isaiah 51 verse 6 says lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath for the heavens will vanish away like smoke and the earth will grow old like a garment and those who dwell on it will die in like manner but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. In Isaiah 40, I preached a whole message from that 
several, probably years ago, looking at the, the greatness of God, I just want to pull out a few verses in Isaiah 40, verses 21 to 28. It says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will blow upon them and they will wither. And the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom will ye liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who bringeth out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God is great. He is the one that sits on the throne. The second aspect I'd like to look at here, and that is the scope of this judgment. Who all does it affect? I think we all know the answer to that. But it says here, small and great, the sea gave up the dead, death, and, and Hades, hell, Hades, the place of the dead. Everyone is subject to this judgment. We will all stand before this judgment. <clears throat> There's a number of verses that speak of, of appearing before God, of being judged, of giving account. And they are very inclusive. This judgment affects everyone, but it also affects all parts of everyone. Nothing is hidden. In Hebrews 4.13, it says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Ecclesiastes 11, verses 9 and 10, right before our lesson, and then the last verse of our lesson in Ecclesiastes 12, 14. Both of these verses speak of judgment as, as something that, that affects what we think and what we do. It's a, a force that helps direct our, our thinking about life. Ecclesiastes 11, 9, and 10. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. 
for all these things, whatever you do will be judged. And chapter 12, 14, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. So it's not just that God's going to hold up the evil that the person has done. He's going to, it's all the works. Everything that a person does will be there. Of that of every person as well. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to what he hath done, whether good or bad. We can think that we can hide things, and we can hide things from each other. We talk about accountability groups and our accountability partners, and those are great, but we can hide things from each other. But you can't hide anything from God. First Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Who is, who does this judgment apply to? What is the scope of this judgment? The scope is everyone. And what is the basis of this judgment? I think the basis, what we are going to be judged on is our standing before God, which stems from what we have done. Here in Revelation 20, verse 12, the second half says the books were opened and the dead were judged according to their works by that which was written in the books. And in the second half of verse 13 it says, and they were judged each one according to his works. I had to think of the song, I think the Nathan Good family sang it, my Lord's a writing all the time. Oh, he sees all you do and he hears all you say. My Lord's are writing all the time. I don't know that God has a book specifically that somebody's writing everything everybody says, but he knows. And it says here that we'll be judged from those things. I believe that's one aspect of the basis of judgment. The other is the righteousness of God. I'd like to go to Romans 8, excuse me, Romans 1. Romans 1, this is a passage that speaks a lot of the sinful state of the world, of humanity, corruption, of the natural man. Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So there's where God's judgment will be made perhaps the most 
Well, that, that's what the judgment is against, that unrighteousness, the ungodliness. I think it's specifically speaking here of, in, it says in verse 18, the second half there, who the King James says, who hold the truth. The New King James says, who suppress the truth. There's a knowledge of the truth, but it's denied. It's, it's like to, to be dismissed. And go to verse 28 of Romans 1 and reading through chapter 2, verse 11. Speaking of these men, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. That list is pretty gruesome. There's a lot of very nasty things there. But as these lists tend to do, they have some things toward the bottom that aren't quite as bad that we tend to think aren't as bad, and yet they fit into this list just as aptly. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. These, continue verse 32. These who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. God doesn't care your background your ethnicity, your upbringing, your skin color. He cares about what you do, about who you are. And his judgment will be righteous. It will be fair. It will be accurate. And it will, it will be a reflection of the deeds that are done. 
Not just what is said, but what is thought. God knows the hearts. We can't hide anything from him. Fourthly, I see here in this passage a finality of this judgment. Verse 14, it says that death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This judgment is final. There will be no going back. No no appeals are made. There's a very familiar verse in Hebrews 9, verse 27 says, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. We only get one life, one shot. And then there's judgment. There's no going back and changing things after death. And God's judgment is the last word. Matthew chapter 25 is a teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. That's, it's the last time that Jesus is teaching before He goes and has the Passover and, and is eventually crucified. And it's a, it's a chapter of, of parables and teaching about the end. Matthew 25, I'd like to read verse 10, just showing this is the in the parable of the ten virgins, it says in verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. It was over. All chances of, of doing things differently were done. The door was shut. And on down in verse 34, Jesus is... It's telling what things will be like at, at this judgment at the end. It says, Then the king shall say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you found from the foundation of the world. In verse 41, the contrast to the other side. The judgment is right and wrong, good and evil, holy and unholy, righteous and wicked. The wicked he will say, then will he also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There's many out there that would like to, to nullify the reality of eternal death. And that's not meaning eternal sleep. that eternal separation from God. And here it calls it, it calls it fire, a number of places. But Jesus, more than any other, speaks and gives the descriptions of, of the place of torment and, and judgment for those that are wicked. In Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9, he says, If your foot or your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye 
rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. And I don't think we realize quite the implication and the, the necessity of taking these verses and making application. We don't have a chopping block at the back of the church to chop off people's hands or feet. But do you recognize things in your life that will cause you to sin and make application of this verse to remove them from your life? If you have a temptation to indulge in weakness of pleasures of the flesh, what do you do to take those temptations away? Make no provision for the flesh because judgment is coming. And it's final. One other passage in Hebrews 12. A warning, a call to consider. Verses 25 to 29 of Hebrews 12. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Speaking of Jesus here, it was contrasting Moses uh, speaking to the people at Mount Sinai and Christ coming and speaking to us. So see that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape, he refused him who spoke on the earth. How much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, that was God there at the mountain, but now has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I believe that this final shaking of things, shaking the temporal the created, the fleshly. It kind of denotes that, that finality here, the consummation of time and destiny that corresponds with the time of judgment. Judgment will be final. But the last thing that I see here that I would like to focus on a bit, and that is, I'm not sure what the right term is. I had remedy, that doesn't fit. But the, the antidote to being condemned in judgment. Because that's not God's desire that we be condemned. We see here in verse 15, those who were cast into the lake of fire were those not written in the book of life. We don't need to fear that judgment. We can have peace as we face that judgment if our names are written in the book of life. The verdict is predetermined. 
eternal life for those written in the book of life and indignation and wrath for those who are not. Jesus told his disciples he had sent the 70 out and and they had power over the unclean spirits. And and it was mentioned here, it was Wednesday evening, how later they they faced a, a time and they weren't able to cast out that that devil out of the, the boy. But previous to that, they had gone out and preached and they had worked miracles and done all these things and they came back and they were on a high. And they said, wow, Lord. I'll, I'll tell you what they said. I'll read what they said, actually. I, want, I don't want to say it wrong. They said, the 70 returned in Luke 10, 17, with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were... They were pumped. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Don't think that just because you aren't out working miracles and casting out demons that you don't have something to rejoice in. Our rejoicing is in our place in Christ. And what that means. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That means that the judgment has been given. If we are in Christ, there's no condemnation. John 5, I'd like to read a number of verses there. John chapter 5. Beginning in verse 21. Jesus said, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life unto them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears My word and believes in Him who sent Me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. You notice there that he says, if you hear and you believe, you won't be condemned. You will not be, you will not come into judgment, but you will be vindicated. Verse 25, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, So he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Praise the Lord that he has made a way that we do not need to be condemned. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Time of trouble, but in that, those who are written in the book, those who are God's people, will be delivered. And lastly, I would like to read Revelation chapter 3. Turn there if you would. Revelation 3, beginning at verse 1. This is the writing to one of the churches. And it's interesting how these different churches have different things that they are commended or reprimanded on and how many of them have things that we can, we can apply to our lives even though we were not there. Revelation 3, 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore... how you have re- what you, Excuse me. Remember therefore how you have received and heard Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. My prayer is that we would have a name that we are alive and we would be so. But I don't know the hearts of each one of you and those who may be listening. God does. And if we have a name that we are alive and we are dead, our name will be blotted out of the book. But if we are watchful, if we strengthen that which remains, if we realize where we are, if we remember what we've been taught and we act upon it, 
then we will repent. And Christ will call us worthy. There's a lot of young lives here. There's a lot of years yet to be lived as the Lord tarries. There's things that have been received and taught. May we, each of us, remember the things we have been received and taught and may we apply ourselves to learn more of the Scripture. May we always live in that attitude of repentance that we can be worthy, that our names can be written in the book. Let's have a song.